Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, if you own a whole bunch of stock in the company you work for and it's shot up in value, how do you diversify that? Joe and Big Al discuss various sheltering strategies and they get in the weeds on charitable remainder trusts, life insurance trusts, and the caller strategy. Stick around to find out what that's all about. The fellows also answer one of the most common retirement questions, will I outlive my money? Somehow they end up gossiping about George Zimmer in the process. But before we get to all that, Devin Carroll of the Big Picture Retirement Podcast and Social Security Intelligence blog joins us to share some surprising considerations when it comes to the future of Social Security. I'm producer Andy Last, and here with our guests, Devin Carroll, are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Devin, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Tell us about how sex can save Social Security. Okay. So, you know... Frankly, that topic was not my first choice. <laughs> but we were sitting around trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to call? Because this, this originally came out of a video that I did on my YouTube channel. And so we were thinking, okay, what can we call this to get people to click on it and thus potentially understand the uh, subject matter? Because people on YouTube, their attention span is very short. So if I were to call it the correlation of fertility rates and the longevity of the Social Security Trust Fund, uh, no one would have clicked on it, right? Yeah, not even me. <laughs> so I started, yeah, right. You're like, no, nah, I don't think so. So I started thinking, okay, well, let's call it How Sex Can Save Social Security. So we, we ran it up and down in here and finally just decided, yep, that sounds like a good title. So when you look at the Social Security Trust Fund, the trustees make uh, several assumptions within that. And those assumptions fit into three broad categories. There's the demographic assumptions, the economic assumptions, and then there's disability assumptions. And when you look at any of these assumptions, they generally model out an average scenario, what they refer to as a high cost scenario and a low cost, which another way to think about that is uh, worst case and best case. One of the key assumptions that they make is based on fertility rates, which is a weird thing. Now, I've never taken even a single class in population science or, or anything like that that I remember. <laughs> but I, I do know that it's a complex deal and what causes trends in fertility can be a little bit unknown. Now, you know, we had a, a war that happened. People were coming home. They wanted to procreate because they were faced with their own mortality and, and all of these things that happened. And it caused us to go through this baby boom. But throughout history, there's been other things that has caused these either mini baby booms or the full-blown type like we had back in the late 40s. So when you look at the baby boom that we had, I wanted to just see what would happen to the Social Security Trust Fund if we would go through another one. Because right now the assumptions for the Social Security Trust Fund running out of money, becoming insolvent, bankrupt, the sky is falling in 2034 is based on each woman having two children. Now, the funny thing is they're being a little bit generous there because in 2017, the fertility rate or the birth rate per woman was 1.76 children. So it's actually a little bit lower than they're projecting it to remain moving forward. But they look at three scenarios and their three scenarios, 2.2 women per children and 1.8. And none of those scenarios really move the needle for extending the longevity of the Social Security Trust Fund. But using the variance that happens between those, I wanted to see what would happen if we had another baby boom and the birth per woman got back up to 3.68. 
which wow. is where they were back in 1957. Now, that's a lot of kids. I don't even want that kid, so I'm not willing to do my part. <laughs> I have three. I'm good. But there are, again, different reasons for people having all these children and, and baby booms happening. And when you look at the data, if we went back through another baby boom, all the problems would be gone completely. Now, do I think that's going to happen? No, I don't. The Social Security trustees don't believe that's going to happen either. There's a lot of reasons for that. There's, you know, the increased use and availability of birth control. There's female participation in the workforce that's different than it was back in the day. The postponement of marriage and so on and so forth. There's a number of factors here. But what I was really trying to underscore with this whole thing is not a conversation on fertility. But really it was to underscore the fact that when we're dealing with something over a long-term period, there are a few factors that could be off that could dramatically change the scope of what we're facing. So again, do I think it's something that doesn't need to be addressed with the shortfall in the Social Security Trust Fund? No, I think we need to take some steps. But I don't think that the sky is necessarily falling in quite the same way that others do. Devin, I have an interesting take on this as well. Everyone kind of blames the baby boomers, right? This age wave. So, you know, you got 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day for the next so many years and so on and so forth. And that, you know, because this age wave is coming through and that so many more people are collecting the Social Security benefit, that it's blowing up the overall system and that our population is aging and dying. But I've seen studies, and I'm not an expert in population at all. But you look at the greatest generation, and then you have the baby boomer generation, then you have what, generation X, Y, millennials, then Z and LMNOP, whatever. But the largest generation are the millennials. Yeah, at the moment. Right? So it's like, okay, well, there's this age wave. There was a little bit of gap, I guess, in generation X, which is me. Right. Because, yeah, I'm still single, don't have kids. Right. Well, <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's But your fault. if you got the millennials that are coming through the system with the largest population, they will be making income, paying taxes, feeding the system. What's your take on that, sir? You know, I think there's a lot of factors that will impact Social Security. Now, we're getting to a point, though, where we have a very uh, shortened window to deal with this. Every year when the trustees report is coming out, they're able to get an accurate measurement of all of those assumptions from the prior year. And truthfully, they're being pretty accurate. But let me give you a couple of examples of things that could change. Uh, number one, we have birth rates, right? We've already talked about that. Just an interesting side note on birth rates. I haven't verified this either, but I've seen a couple of articles on this. That There are some countries who are recognizing that declining fertility rates is an issue. Uh, you know, we have the optimal replacement rate of about 2.1% per woman. So each woman needs to have 2.1 children in order for us to replace the population. And other countries, you know, they're right around that same mark and they're not there either. So I saw a report that said in Italy that they are offering free land to anyone who will have a third child. And then I saw another report where someone had raised the proposal of some college loan forgiveness for having three children in the U.S. I mean, so who knows? There's a lot of things that could happen, but it's going to take a while for that stuff to work its way through the system. Let's look at the impact of immigration. So there's another one of the demographic assumptions that they make. Now, this has been a, a hot topic lately. Hot uh, potato. It's, it's, yeah, and it's heavily divided, right? But let's just forget all of the division that's happening, and let's talk about what's actually going on. 
So we've got these immigrants that are coming into the U.S. They are doing work, and they are mostly paying Social Security taxes that's going into the earnings suspense file. Now, that's where the Social Security Administration puts money that comes in that they can't match up to an earner. Now, why can't they match that up to an earner? Well, it's because most of these immigrants are using a Social Security number that's not theirs. Now, let me give you an example of the kind of dollars we're talking about here. In 2010, the Social Security Administration estimated that unauthorized immigrants contributed $12 billion into the trust fund and that they only expect that to increase. So built into the assumptions of the trust fund is an increased amount of individuals who are paying into the system who will never get a penny out. Now, if that changes either way, if we have more immigration than we expect, or if something happens and we suddenly start to have less immigration than we expect, now we have an issue again. You guys are a border state just like we are. You see some of the impacts of of immigration and what's going on there. But, uh, you know, I don't know what the answer is in terms of immigration. I don't want to spend too much time on that. I think we need to find some way to deal with the issue that both treats these people as fellow humans, but works within the laws of the nation, too. But the fact remains is that there may not be a big incentive to fix this problem if you've got this kind of money being pumped into the system. Then you've got mortality. We have, for the first time in a long time, mortality rates that have declined for the middle age group. Now, for older people, they're increasing. For younger people, it's increasing. But the middle age group is seeing reduced mortality rates. If that trend continues, that's not calculated into the trust fund. And that's all mostly, rather, due to the opioid epidemic. You know, when you really dig into the Centers for Disease Control and the sensor supports that are out there, some fascinating stuff. And this stuff swings on a lot of variables. So who knows? <laughs> for links, resources, and a transcript of this interview and all of our past interviews, check the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Next week on the podcast, is a recession looming? You asked, so we are providing. Schwab Chief Investment Strategist Liz Ann Saunders gives us her market outlook for 2019. Plus, Chris Hogan from The Chris Hogan Show talks about his brand new book, Everyday Millionaires, how ordinary people built extraordinary wealth and how you can too. Tell everyone you know and subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com so new episodes will download automatically to your device for free. Devin, I was just talking to my team yesterday about life expectancies in the United States have actually been dropping the last couple of years, but it's that's a bit of a misleading figure. I, I think the opioid crisis is probably a big factor. I do think that uh, Americans are getting more and more obese. I think that's a factor. But more important, and, and we help a lot of folks that are near retirement, that's an irrelevant stat. The real stat is what's your life expectancy given a certain age that you've already made it? And that's a completely different figure because you know, a couple age 65, there's a 50% chance that one of them will make it into their 90s. And so then you have to you have to learn, okay, so it's so maybe the life expectancy from birth is, is in the 70s, but if I'm already 65, I got to plan to at least 90. Yep. You are absolutely right. And I think the post age 65 mortality rates are only going to increase and get longer. You know, we're going to see those folks living longer. And some of those assumptions have been built into the, to the trust fund. But if we have a group of people in that middle age that doesn't last as long, then that will also have an impact. What advice would you give looking at the study that you've done would you tell someone, are you telling your clients, you know, claim 70? Uh, you know, of course, there's ma- many v- variables. 
Uh, but for a healthy couple, are you still telling them to push it out? Are you telling them to take it right away? What are some of the strategies or, or conversations that you're having around claiming? So, and again, there are simply way too many variables to have any kind of rule of thumb advice there, you know. So there are multiple scenarios where it makes sense to file as early as you possibly can. And then there are certainly scenarios where it waits to, uh, you know, it's best to wait until later. There are many variables. And it does irritate me so bad when I see these articles that, you know, the best stage to file is blah. Well, no, there's not. You know, for example, if you are one of the few million, I can't remember what the number is, who uh, you, you are retirement age and you have either a child or a grandchild living at home, well, they are entitled to a Social Security benefit, but they can't get that benefit until you file. So if you look at total family benefits, it makes sense for you to file early in many cases. Uh, so, you know, factors like that, that are individual, that each person brings with them. And who knows, you know, if you have a, a spouse who is older than you, but is the lower wage earner, they can't collect their spousal benefit until you file. So for total family benefits, it may make sense to file earlier. There's some really stupid reasons to file early as well, such as Social Security is going bankrupt. I need to file now. You know, that's just that's ridiculous. You know, if Social Security benefits are cut, if we see a 25 percent haircut to these, would you rather get a 25 percent haircut on a small amount or a larger amount? Because they're going to be cut across the board if nothing is done. They're not going to say, OK, you filed at 62. OK, we're not going to mess with yours. We're going to only mess with the people who waited until their full retirement age. So, you know, I'm, right now I'm digging deep into some of the proposals that have been put out there by both the Republicans and the Democrats. And uh, really, neither of them are very good solutions, <laughs> to say the least. Well, it's because uh, we're, we're not right up against 2034 yet, but that, they will have to change as we get closer. Devin, in oh, your opinion, what is the most likely, most effective solution to the Social Security problem as we do approach the 2034 deadline date? Well, if you just stand back and, and look at it from a mile back, you know, I think some sort of means testing is what seems to fix everything. But the problem is it's just too complicated and too costly. Uh, and they, they've done a horrible job of, of doing that with Medicaid and some of the other programs. And it's just it, the, the program cost of doing that are just too high. So you've got the on the Democrat side, the one proposal that continues to come through is to either increase or completely eliminate the maximum taxable wage base. So right now, you only pay Social Security taxes on up to, I believe in 2019, it's going to be $132,900 in wages. Anything above that, and you're not paying your uh, Social Security portion of the FICA tax on. So the proposals are, well, we need to raise this. And you know what? They have uh, some validity when they're making that argument, because if you look at the wage base that they based that on, when it first came out, that was $3,000. And it's been increased on an annual basis to where we're now at 132, almost 133. But if you look at the way wages have grown, which is what that wage base is supposed to keep up with, wages have grown faster than that wage base, especially wages in the top 10% of wage earners. You know, if you look, I believe it's since 1979, and I don't have the charts in front of me, the top 10% of wage earners have seen a 34% increase to their wages, and the bottom 10% have seen somewhere around a 1% increase. So that's, you know, when they're referring to that income inequality, they're going, wait a minute, we're not collecting all the taxes we're supposed to. When they first rolled this out, 
it was meant to capture about 90% of all of the earnings, and now it's capturing about 83% of all of the earnings. So an adjustment to that is probably going to come, but then you have to calculate, okay, right now the maximum Social Security benefit is about $2,700. If we increase the maximum wage, do we give them any credit towards an additional Social Security benefit for an amount that they pay in excess of that base, that 132. So if they pay up on the first 200,000 of their wages, do we somehow give them an increase to the social security benefit or we just say you're paying in and getting nothing? Well, that's not going to be very popular. But by the time they start increasing social security benefits to keep up, then all of a sudden it's not quite as lucrative for the longevity of the social security trust fund. So what's in the Republican plan? So the main thing we're seeing there is to increase the full retirement age. You know, all the way, I've seen the proposals from, you know, 68, 69, and 70, but 70 tends to be the one that most people are looking at. But that's going to bring some some very unique issues. If everything remains the same and they extend the full retirement age, and let's say that you can still file at earliest age of eligibility, 62, but all of the reductions still apply. That means that you'll be able to file at 62 if your full retirement age is 70, but you'll only receive 55% of your benefit. So then are we going to run into higher poverty rates at that point? Because right now I can tell you that 55% of the average Social Security benefit is below the poverty line on a monthly basis. Yeah, it seems, um, it seems you'd, you'd almost have to increase the minimum age to take it if you're going to try to make this work, if you, if you want to go to age 70. Yeah. But then you have people who are saying, wait a minute, I, this is my retirement. I don't want to wait. And so I don't think either of the political parties are going to say, we want our legacy to be hung on the, you know, on the nail of the party that made everyone wait to retire. Yeah, and then of course you'd have to you'd have to phase it in because a lot of people have already planned on the rules as they stand right now. Certainly, it, it would absolutely be a phase in, but doesn't matter how you look at it. That would be a benefit cut because if you're filing at seventy, receiving the same benefit that you used to could have received at sixty-seven, and then no delayed retirement credits. But I imagine it's going to be a combination of all of those things. One of the more popular uh, Democratic proposals is to put in income thresholds to where, you know, leave the cap in place, but then Social Security tax becomes, you know, you, you have to start paying tax again if your income crosses 300000 and then 400000 It goes to a different threshold. So there's a lot of things out there, but I imagine we're going to see a change to the taxable wage base. You know, to get it back in line to where 90% of, of wages are covered. And uh, we'll probably see some playing around with the full retirement age as well, just strictly based on where we are with life expectancies now of a 65-year-old versus what they were when the system came out. Well, I thought we were going to talk about sex. <laughs> I know. You're, you're pretty bummed, right? I know. I'm all depressed. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a hook to get you into the conversation yeah. about how to save Social Security. Uh, we're talking to uh, Devin Carroll, folks. Hey, Devin, where can people find you? Well, the easiest place to find me and all the stuff I'm involved in is DevinCarroll.com. That has a listing of my podcast, my blog, the books I've had, and uh, everything else is right there. DevinCarroll.com. Hey, I really appreciate you hanging out with us. Happy New Year, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on the show again real soon. All right. Thanks for having me. 
You can find links to Devin's website, his podcast, his blog, and his YouTube channel in the show notes for today's episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, where you'll also find the link to download the Social Security Handbook for free, learn the history of Social Security, the current rules regarding spousal, survivor, and ex-spouse benefits, as well as important details to consider about when to collect your Social Security, working while taking your benefits, and how Social Security is taxed. Check it out in the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And if you have any questions about your own Social Security or any other money question for that matter, you can always email info at purefinancial.com. That's info at purefinancial.com. Let's answer some of those emails now. This is John. He goes, greetings. While researching retirement planning and taxation issues, I found an article on plan giving on your site below. Here are my questions and overview of portfolio. Please review and advise how to proceed. Thank you. Okay. Maybe we'll just kind of take it in chunks, right? Yeah. Well, you know, he's got one, two, three, subset five. <laughs> <laughs> he's got Roman numeral six. Yes. Uh, so, all right. So th- here's a little backdrop, right? Okay. Um, he, we are located in San Francisco Bay Area. He's oh, got yeah. three traditional 401ks. Okay. $800,000. They're all in target date funds. Okay. But he's got three target date funds. So, John, first of all, no bueno. Uh, B, two rollover traditional IRAs, totaling about $90,000, they're invested in stocks. Okay. He's got this ESPP plan. Uh, it's got about $1.1 million in that, very low cost basis. Okay. He's got liquid assets from dividends, so I guess he's not reinvesting his dividends. They're going into cash, forty grand. Okay. And his uh, residence there in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area, mortgage-free is about $1.5 million. Okay, good. All right. The most challenge now is to diversify from the single equity position. So he's got a ton of his you know, company in stock. His company stock. And that's the ESPP employee stock purchase plan. You is got what it. That is. That's uh, so you know one point one million dollars all in one company stock. The basis on it, he says, is around forty thousand dollars. Or was that the cash amount, or is that the basis? Cost basis is forty thousand. Some of them has no yeah. record as they are over the record retaining period. Uh, retention period. Yeah, so he's going to have to. So there's a long, some records yeah, together. large long-term capital gain tax preventing us from taking action to diversify. Uh, he's considering setting up uh, maybe a charitable reindeer trust. Yep, we can discuss what that is. Would like to set up a life insurance trust uh, to preserve donate value to kids in case trust terminates before they are ready. Uh, two kids ages thirty and twenty-five. He would also like to set up a living trust. He would like to convert 401k uh, in IRA to Roth IRA, um, and he's got about eight years before he reaches RMDs. Okay, so that means he's about 62. Does it say, is he working or not? Did it say? Um, uh, not, we're only halfway through, oh. so let's just stop there. <laughs> okay, that's, few, a, that's f- enough to work with. A <clears throat> few different things. All right, so I think this is very true, and we're seeing this quite a bit um, from a lot of individuals that uh, have a high concentrated stock position. So he's worked for this company probably for several years. Sure. Right? And so his cost basis is almost nothing. And now he's got a $1.1 million gain. Right. And it's like, man, do I want to sell that? You know, so if I got one $1.1 million, let's just say that that's the gain. Right. So I'm going to have to pay, what, uh, 34% in tax? Yeah, I'll call it 34 and it depends whether the Medicare surtax is involved. Call it 38 to be safe, 38%. So that's roughly $400,000 in tax. Yeah, right, exactly. So four hundred grand. so do I diversify 400000 out of my 1.1? You know, now I have 700000 
and it's like, oh, that's a that's a that's a big check it, to write. It, it is. So a few different things he's thinking about. He's like, all right, well, maybe I put this stock inside of a charitable remainder trust, um, or we call them uh, tax exempt trust as well. You might have heard that terminology. Um, and, and the benefit of doing that is that you could put the stock inside that trust. The trust sells the stock and pays no tax. Right. So now you're working with your full $1.1 million. Then you diversify as you wish. So it's invested. It's invested, diversified portfolio, right. stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities, whatever. And then you can create an income from that, um, depending on how you structure the trust. And basically, it just defers that tax over a longer period of time. Right. So as you receive income payments for the rest of your life, by the way, and if you're married the rest of your spouse's life, whoever lives longer gets these payments. And the payments are your income and principal over the term of the trust. And they're designed that by your life expectancy, 90% of all the assets come back to you. Well, it depends on how you design it. But that's the most common. Sure. I'll, I'll say it that way. Okay. You're right. There is flexibility there. Uh, but 90%, that's how most people do it, that 90% comes back to them, and so they're getting that plus a lot of income, and they didn't have to pay that tax up front. Now, you do pay tax as it comes out. So as it comes out, if it earned interest and dividends in the trust, part of your distributions is interest and dividends, and the rest is capital gain. So a couple really good things there. One is you didn't have to pay the 400000 tax right up front, so you have the whole asset to invest for the, your whole lifetime. Number two is when you actually do pay that capital gain tax, it's not all at once. So you're not in the highest brackets. Right. We, so we, you're sheltering it out over 40 right, years, 30 right. years. And the truth is if you're married, the first 77000 of, of income, is uh, capital gains are tax-free. So you might actually, depending upon your other income now, with, with uh, IRAs and, and 401ks of, of almost a million dollars, there's a required minimum distribution and Social Security. So maybe not much would be tax-free, but, there, but there's that consideration. The downsides of, of a charitable remainder trust, just so you understand, is that whenever you pass away or your spouse, the second to die, whatever's left in the trust goes to charity, not your kids. It goes to charity. And so what some people do is, as he talked about, they set up a life insurance trust. An islet. An islet, yeah, life insurance trust, meaning that if you were to pass away prematurely, well, the kids don't get the asset in the charitable trust. That goes to charity. But maybe you set up a life insurance policy to cover that so the kids are still made whole from a different source. Right. So it's a little complicated, right? You put a, a stock or a highly appreciated asset inside a trust. It's an irrevocable trust. Um, if you die prematurely, both spouses, depending on how you set up the trust, 100% of it is going to go to the charity. So you didn't really benefit from it. Um, so if you want to protect the children right. to make sure that, hey, this million dollars, I would like to get to make sure if, if we do die prematurely that they would get this asset. So you're replacing, it's a wealth replacement trust is another terminology for it. Right. So you're replacing that asset if you were to die prematurely. But then you're looking at, all right, well, what's the cost of that? You're 57 years old. You want to buy a million dollar second to die life insurance contract. Right. So then it's based on both you and your spouse's life. So both spouses have to die for the, the policy to get paid out. So those are a little bit less expensive and they're designed especially for this or 
for estate planning tools. Right, exactly. And something else to mention there, another downside, Joe, is that although you do get an income stream, you don't have access to the principal anytime you want it. So you, and most people don't put all of their stock in. They might put some of their stock in and sell some of their stock because the trust itself does create a tax deduction because there is a future charitable component. And the tax deduction happens in the year you actually set up the trust and put the asset in the trust. Typically, it's 10% of the asset value. So let's just say he put half in. So that would be 550000 So the charitable deduction would be $55,000. That goes right on his tax return in that year. That would help shelter some of the capital gains on the other stock that he was, was going to sell. No, good point. So it's just running the numbers to say, all right, well, how much do you want to put in the overall trust? In most cases, in this scenario, you probably want to want to put it all in. Um, but you may. He does have some other liquid assets, but that's 50% of his liquid net worth. That, that's a lot. That is, yeah, that, you know, you, you jam up into this trust I, that you have very little control over. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of other assets out of retirement, at least from what you described. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't put it, I would not put it all in. I would have, I may, maybe, ha- I'm just throwing out a number. Right, I mean, sure. you do some analysis, but let's just say you put in half or 60% or whatever. You keep the rest outside of retirement. Maybe you come up with a three or four year strategy to sell that, to diversify. You diversify the stuff that goes into the charitable trust immediately, and you diversify another chunk because you got a tax deduction from setting up the charitable trust. So it can all fit together. By the way, I'll say one more thing. This works really well for people in this situation that have highly appreciated stock or that have highly appreciated real estate. This is where this is a can be a great tool. Another way, you know, now you got to set up a, a, a few different trusts here. Hey, you know, I got to set up a irrevocable life insurance trust. I got to set up a charitable remainder trust. And he's also talking about just standard living trust. Now you got to buy three trusts. And I mean, this could get fairly expensive. And then you got to file a different tax return for the charitable remainder trust. You do. And you got to get Correct. crummy letters for the irrevocable life insurance trust. And then you have to get a separate trustee for here. So, you know, for a million dollars, I mean, it seems like there's a ton of stuff going on here. Another easier strategy, it's a little bit more complex, but there's a, 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 a caller strategy you know, where you're using puts and calls mm-hmm. um, with on that particular highly appreciated asset. So you're just kind of freezing. Um, so you're not going to get a lot of movement in that stock. So if the stock plummets, it protects you um, because you're selling puts or buying calls to protect the, the, the variation or the volatility of that particular stock. And then you can slowly divest from that stock over a period of years. So you just take a look at, well, how much capital gains do I want to take this year? And then you look at your tax return and your other income sources. Are there other deductions that you can use? And then maybe you come up with a two, three, four-year strategy to divest from that particular stock. You're not going to see a lot of movement of it. You're just basically freezing the price, if you will. Yeah, so the, a certain target. So you, you can't get below a certain amount or above a certain amount. So you, you, you If the stock is trading, let's say, at $100, you, know, you could put a move of maybe Maybe ten percent of either way, either direction. So yeah. you know you're not going to get the full appreciation, but you're not going to lose more than ten percent hypothetically. Yeah, right. So you can protect the you know because there's a half his liquid net worth is in this particular security. So he could potentially do that as well and avoid all these other type of trust. So it, I mean, it, it really depends on what his overall goals are. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And and by the way, you can do do those uh, very cost and efficient because yeah, because zero one, cost callers. Because yeah, because one of those costs you money, but the other one you make money, and you can set them so they offset. Yeah, it basically zeroes out. So, um, hopefully that helps, John from San Francisco. He's got a couple more questions. I'll just answer those privately. 
This week on the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, Joe and Big Al are getting real about real estate and retirement. Watch it online on demand at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And be sure to subscribe on YouTube so you can watch new episodes every Sunday. While you're at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, click special offer to download our new white paper, 10 Tips for Real Estate Investors. It's free. And check out all the other free resources in the Learning Center as well, like the Social Security Handbook, Big Al's Quick Retirement Calculator, the Roth IRA Basics White Paper, and over six. 600 educational videos. Now let's get to another email question. Send yours to info at purefinancial.com. All right, this is from our friend Nick. Okay. Uh, I run out of paper printing out Nick's uh, email <laughs> questions. I run out of paper writing down all the facts that you tell me as you read. Yes, th- this is going to take 15 minutes just to read the fact pattern here, Nick. <laughs> all right. So the question is Will I outlive my money? So Nick here, he's 53 years old, planning to retire in January of 2020 at 55 years old. Okay. His pension starts at 58. All right, so he's 55. He's got a bridge of gap. So his pension starts at 58, uh, 2400 bucks a month. Got it. Got it. And then if he passes, his lovely wife would get 50% of that pension. Got it. All right, so he's planning on starting to withdraw from 401k for three years, and then uh, the pension will start in 2023. Okay. So he's going to retire at 55. He's going to pull the money from his 401k for three years. I'm guessing at $2,400 a pop, and then he's going to stop with the 401k and then turn the pension on in 2023. But his monthly living expenses are $3,000. 3000 and occasionally 4000 An additional $1,000 buffer to withdrawal as needed. Uh, retirement budget includes living expenses, health care, a lot of booze. <laughs> Is that no, what it I'm, says? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Nick. That was not part not, of the... Not in it. That's, that's, you were thinking about uh, your well, retirement. Other discretionary expenses. All right. So he has no mortgage. Uh, the current home will be sold to pay off home in the Philippines. Okay. And money left to purchase a car, et cetera, approximately $80,000 or $80,000 gain. Okay. Okay. Fact pattern here. He's got 500, call it 50,000 in a 401k plan, 124,000 in a Roth, 120,000 in the IRA, $175,000 in a brokerage account, and about 60K in emergency fund. So add all that up, Al. What do we got? 970. Let's call it a million bucks. He's got a million bucks. And then he's got a little cash reserve, call it 60. Okay. All right. So we'll claim Social Security at 64, $3,000 a month for me and wife combined. Okay. All right. Please advise. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please advise what, Nick? He wants to know whether he runs out of money. <laughs> oh, will That's, I run out of money? It's the first question you I read. got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Please advise. Just advise. Just <laughs> tell me. Tell me what I need to do. <laughs> I think everything looks pretty good. Um, so he's got a million dollars. So he needs to pull out about thirty thousand dollars a year for a few years, right? Maybe call it. Well, call it forty thousand. Call it forty grand. That's four percent distribution rate. That's that's okay. So you're right in line there. Four percent plus a little tax, though. Yeah, plus a little tax. So it's going to be a little bit higher than that. But that's only three years. Three years, right? And then you got your your pension for twenty four hundred and Social Security. What's that again? Social Security is going to be three thousand. Three thousand. So it, once Social Security kicks in. 
then that's six grand. Yeah, that's going to probably cover long term. This looks great. Long term, it looks all right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, but even right off the bat, right off the bat, we would say you're retiring at 55. And and typically, when you retire that early, we might say maybe only pull three percent out of your portfolio because that's a young age to retire. If you had no other, if you had no other income, but because there's the pension, because later there's Social Security, four percent is just fine. This, This looks great, actually. Looks wonderful. I'm, I wish it was me. <laughs> I don't, because I want I want to buy the beer. What do you say? The alcohol. Yeah, it's the health, living expenses, health care, and booze. Yep, that's my that's that's, that's, that's what I read. <laughs> Sorry, it's not what's written, but that's what that's what you foresaw <laughs> yes, for yourself. Yes, exactly. But no, that's, but, but that, yeah, that's I mean that's how you think about it, right? You <clears> look you look at your. I mean, let's just say he was retiring and had a pension right now, right? And so then they asked another question, what can I spend? Sure. So 4% of a million is 40 grand. 40 grand. Mm-hmm. And then you got 2400 pension, we'll call that 30,000 a year. So that's 70 grand. Now maybe retiring at at 55, maybe you want to bring that down to 60 grand instead of 70, but you're in the ballpark. So it, here's what you have to consider. All right, first step is how much are you truly spending? All right? And I would We've been doing this a couple of days. Right. And a lot of you underestimate how much you truly spend. Yeah. I, that's probably the, the probably the biggest mistake we see from people. So you have to be honest with yourself, first of all. Well, and you, you probably, a lot of people have no idea. True. Right. But then there's some people that will say they're going to cut their expenses significantly in retirement. Yeah, because the publications, a lot of them say you're going to spend 70% of your, what you normally make. Right. And that is absolutely true for a lot of people. Some of you might be 50%, but some of you is going to be 200% of what you're currently spending. Right. And some some of that, Joe, is just because the 70% you were saving into your 401k, so now yeah, you don't you have know, the Well, how many people are saving 30%? <laughs> well, not many, but I just I said some. I didn't say all. I said some of that is because of the 401k. <laughs> right. But 401k, maybe there's um, gasoline. Like my mother was asking. Like, she's like, like, like suits? You're going to wear suits, expensive right. suits in, no, in retirement? Not, probably yeah. not. Right. Well, you might. Yeah, I will. Because <laughs> you like the way you look. <laughs> yes. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. <laughs> I think I heard that somewhere. So, yeah, that guy got the boot. Yeah, I know. I, right? What happened to that? I didn't hear why. Did, what, didn't he start the thing? Or was he just a, yeah, the, he, the spokesperson? Well, I, I thought he started it. And then the board said, you don't, oh, we don't like the way you look anymore. Well, he, <laughs> he stopped saying, I guarantee it. Yeah. He just said, you're gonna, I think you're going to like the way you look. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. The cut in this suit isn't that great, but it's cheap. (laughs) You got that going for you. You could buy three suits where the other store you buy one. Right. Oh, boy. You're going to like the way your wallet looks. (laughs) I guarantee it. Um, Anyway. So you you had some big point you're going to make. Yes. How to look at this. Start with your living expenses. How much money are you? And then maybe put a little buffer in there. And so I got a little tip for you. So look at your net pay. Yeah, that's net a good pay. tip. You get paid once a week. What's your net pay? Thousand bucks. Thousand bucks. Okay, great. Fifty-two weeks you get paid. Yeah. So fifty-two thousand is your net pay. Okay, are you saving some of that fifty-two thousand? Nope. Everything's going to the four hundred one k. Then you're spending fifty-two thousand. Right. Like that's a quick way to figure right. it out. Right. Yeah, because if you look at you can't look at your gross pay. Because then if you are saving into your 401k plan, right. and, you know, with all the other deductions that you have, just take a look at the net. But then there could be some addbacks, too, because you've got health insurance if you're going to retire early. For sure, yeah. Right? There's other maybe travel expenses. So just spend a little bit of time to figure out what that number is. And then you look at some math. 
it's like, all right, well, if I'm retiring at 55, do I have a pension that's going to be able to kick in? Like Nick here, he's lucky. He's got a nice, big, fat pension that starts at age 58. Right. Congratulations for Nick. But a lot of you that are listening will not have a pension. So it's your assets that need to create that income. Then you have Social Security. So you got a couple bridges that you want to take a look. All right, well, here, if I retire at this age, when am I going to receive that fixed income? That's why a lot of times people retire at 62, just so they can get some sort of fixed income. Take that expense minus your fixed income. Whatever you believe that you're going to receive from Social Security pensions, real estate income, whatever. And then you find that shortfall. So if I wanted to spend $70,000 a year, Right, and if I have a thirty thousand dollar fixed income, well, then I'm going to be short forty. So forty thousand dollars needs to come from my portfolio. We talked about what the rule of four percent, right? Which easier way multiply it by twenty five? Forty thousand times twenty five is a million bucks. So now you need a million dollars. And if you're retiring young, you probably need a little bit more. If you're retiring later, you probably need a little less. I mean, that's just a quick start. There's a lot of variables that can affect this one way or another, but that at least tells you whether you're in the ballpark. Because this question that Nick had is is pretty much what's on everybody's mind that comes into our office. Can I retire? Because they don't know. Yeah, can I retire? Uh, But there's a lot more to this, too. I mean, that's just just the the tip of the iceberg when it it comes to the map. All right. Well, hey, uh, for Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. I want to thank Andy Laz for producing such a wonderful show. Yeah, and I second that. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. All right. We'll see you next week. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. To find out if you will outlive your money and to get deeper than the tip of the iceberg, just sign up for a no-cost, no-obligation financial assessment at purefinancial.com. Special thanks to our guest today, Devin Carroll. Learn more about his blog, his podcast, and his YouTube channel at devincarroll.com. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or find links to subscribe on all the various podcast apps in the show notes for today's episode. And if you love the show, do us a favor and blast it out on social media. Share it with everyone who will get value out of it. Email your money questions to info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next time for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Liz Ann Saunders and Chris Hogan next week. See you then.